Hey everybody, it's Pastor Will. Welcome or welcome back to the Brazos Fellowship Podcast. Thank you for listening today. And at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast if you aren't already. But more importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Up till now, we have been really asking what marriage is. Today we're going to shift that focus a little bit and say, what is marriage for? Like what, ultimately, to say it another way, what is the purpose of marriage? What is its purpose? Why do we have marriage? Now to answer this question, at least the first answer that the Bible gives us, we need to go all the way back to the creation story in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where God shows us that um, he's creating everything. He's creating all of the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the, all of the aquatic animals. And every time he creates something, he says, it is good. It is good. It is good. Seven times he says, it is good. And then the very first time he ever says something is not good, it's right here in verse 18, where he says this. In chapter two, he says, it is not good for man to be, let's say it together, man to be Alone, He doesn't do well alone, okay? He's not doing really great alone. Now, this puzzled me for a long time. Wondering, what, what is God talking about here? Here's Adam. He's in the perfect world. He has a perfect relationship with God. What's not to be good about all of that? The answer to that question could be found up in chapter 1, verse 26, where God reveals something about himself to us when he's creating Um, humankind. Here's what he says in in chapter 1. He says, let us make man in our own image. Now, if this is one of the first times you've heard this, or this has been a puzzling verse for you, one of the questions you ask is, who is us, right? God's there making people. Well, who is us? Well, theologians down through the centuries would tell you that God here is revealing something really powerful, something true about who he is, about the the nature of him as God. And what he's revealing is that he is triune, which is a theological idea or word that means that God is one God who has existed from all eternity as three persons, Father, Son, and Spirit. And these three persons form one God, and they intimately know each other and love each other. In other words, within God himself, there is a community. There is a relationship. He is a relational God, even with himself. And it is this God, in the image of this God, that you have been created, that I have been created. In other words, we were designed for relationships. From Adam and Eve all the way down to you and I, that we are all designed for relationships, both horizontal relationships and vertical relationships. In other words, horizontal are relationships with other people, We all crave whether you're married today or not married, want to be married someday or done with marriage, don't ever want to be married again. There's still a craving in you to have meaningful relationships, whether they're romantic or not, with another person, to be known, to know and to be known by someone. That is a craving, to have a friend, to be a part of a community, be a part of a team, to belong, to have people that get you and you get them and you feel close and there's inside jokes and there's a desire for that. But there's also a desire deep down, theologians, philosophers have talked about this God-shaped vacuum inside of every person's heart that only God can fill. And we try to fill it with all kinds of things here on this earth, but nothing can fill it, only God 
It is a vertical relationship. So we simultaneously crave this vertical and horizontal relationship as we looked at last week, the marriage covenant satisfy, it, it addresses both. But also understanding that craving for vertical and horizontal helps us to understand even the moment when Adam meets Eve, he can't help it. He responds with poetry. It just flows out of him. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 23, here's what Adam says. He says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, right? Like, this is what I've been looking for. This is what's been missing. Like, I've looked at all of the animals, all of creation, and nothing is as good as this woman right here. Like, she is it. One Hebrew scholar says you could translate this, meeting you fills a void in me. I love that. Meeting you fills a void in me. That's what he's saying there. And we see the same sentiment replied in the bride of or the, the uh, uh, wife of Solomon in Song of Solomon, chapter 5, verse 16. And we're led to believe that this could have been on their wedding night, but she says this to him. This is my beloved. This is my, let's say it together, this is my, my friend. Right. That, that, that marriage is first a friendship. It's got to start there. It's got to be the foundation upon which you build it's got to be a friendship it's got to be a friend so what does scripture say about what is a friend how are we to be a friend for each other this is such an important thing to answer and to understand whether we're applying it to marriage or anything else this is so critical a friend is someone first who is reliable someone you can count on in proverbs chapter 18 verse 24 we're told this by Solomon. He says, one who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. A true friend, in other words, is someone who's not just reliable, they're, they're reliable, they're loyal, and they're even more loyal and reliable than your blood relation sometimes. And ultimately, that's what marriage ought to be. This is somebody who's got your back, who loves you, who's with you, thick or thin, rich or poor, better or worse, whatever comes, right? That is the kind of reliability that has to be the bedrock of a good marriage. It's someone who is reliable and is committed to that. Doesn't mean they're perfect all the time, but that there is a willingness to say, I'm coming back to that reliability, even when I blow it. So the second thing, the friendships are, is that a friend is someone who sharpens you, sharpens you. In Proverbs chapter 27, verse 17, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. This is so incredibly important, that a friend is someone who is willing to address things and to help you to get better. Now, let me just point out something. This is radically different than the popular pursuit of people today looking for someone who is compatible with them. That is one of the most common words used, especially by young people who are wanting to get married, that are looking for a life partner, somebody they'll go through this life together with, and they're saying, really, I'm just looking for someone who is compatible. Researchers say, what do they mean when they say compatible? Here's what, most of the time, what they mean. They mean someone that doesn't just accept me, but someone who will not challenge me or try to change me. Do you see how that is? The opposite of this. That is the opposite. Unless you are Jesus Christ, and that, that spot's already been filled, right? Unless you are perfect, you've already arrived, you need somebody 
Just like the verse before this, if they're unreliable, they're not willing to sharpen you, they'll bring your ruin. They'll destroy you if they don't bring up certain things. It's important that they're willing and they're committed to sharpen you. To take it a step further, a friend is someone who will confront you. Someone who will bring up the stuff that nobody else will bring up. They will talk to you about really hard things when it's like not real advantageous for them to bring it up. But they'll do it in love. In Proverbs 27, and we're gonna go up a little further, same chapter, verses five and six, he says, an open rebuke is better than hidden love. Notice this juxtaposed kind of idea of hidden and open, hidden and open. An open rebuke, again, that very much could be done in love, is far better than hidden love. That this open rebuke takes way more courage, right? Doesn't it take a lot more courage to bring an open rebuke than just to say, well, I see something in their life that probably is gonna mess them up and ruin them, could sabotage their life, but I don't wanna ruffle any feathers. I'm not gonna bring it up, so I'm just gonna stay quiet. I'm gonna stay hidden. I'm not gonna say anything. Which one actually has more courage? Which one actually demonstrates more love? It's the one who has the courage to speak up, right? And he goes on to say, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. In other words, you should value the friend who has the courage to tell you the truth even when it hurts than the one who just kisses up to you, kisses your backside and tries to make you feel good. I know that's, that's kind of rough, but that's what he's saying. He goes, that's not what you need. But we live in a day where people are saying, no, 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 that's who I want to marry, Will. Naively think, I want somebody that thinks that I could do no wrong, and everything I do is incredible. And, and you know, it's just like, I'm not gonna be confronted, and I'm not gonna be challenged, and I'm not gonna be changed in any way. He's saying, that person will ruin you and they are not looking out for your best interest. But could be argued, they're only looking out for their own. Because somebody who only loves you insofar as it's convenient for them, but if it makes them uncomfortable, or loving you and confronting you is gonna make them feel a little uh, scared, or it's gonna cause, it's gonna cost them something, then they're out. They don't really love you all that much. They don't really care about you. And he's saying, listen, this is the bedrock of what a good friendship should be, a good marriage should be. This is what friendship is about. You see, friendship is really formed over a common interest. When we think about all friendships, whether it's marriage or those that just are best friends that, you, that follow you throughout your life, they usually are over people with a common passion, right? You share a hobby, you share an objective or a goal, or you, you both love something, you're a part of a team, you're part of a community, you both are driven by something, and it kind of brings you together. Now, here's the interesting thing. When we come to the New Testament, the New Testament explains to us that Christian friends, Christian friends are unique in that they are both people who have experienced the grace and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ, and it has changed them at the very core, that changed their identity at the very core of who they are. And now, the will of God and the love of God is more foundational to who they are as human beings than anything else in this world. 
and being transformed into this new creation that Jesus came to bring us into is more important. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he tells us about this new creation. He says, he's talking about people who have placed faith in Christ and who have been changed from the inside out. He says, therefore, anyone who is in Christ, the new creation has come. You are this new creation. In other words, the Christian friendships are unique in this. They can have no other thing in common in all of the world except their faith, and their faith alone could create a robust, strong, lifelong friendship where they are both encouraging each other to grow and to become and grow into this new creation, really fully living out this new creation that Jesus came to make us and came to bring us and it's helping to encourage each other towards us. And this is the ultimately why behind friendship. It's the why behind marriage even. It's what it is for. In other words, marriage is for helping each other become the new creations that God is making us. Now I want us to go back to this passage in Ephesians chapter five that we've been looking at every week throughout this series that I think as we've been unpacking it, it's helping us to understand a fully orbed, fully uh, kind of global idea of what marriage from God's standpoint through Jesus is supposed to look like. And here's what, here's what Paul says. He says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And so the question is, Why? Why did he give himself up for her? For what purpose? To what end? He tells us in the next verse. He says, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. See, Jesus, his whole point, his whole objective is to help bring us as his people into the fully realized new creation self, the, the full uh, glory self that he sees inside of every single one of us. And a part of our journey as friends, and especially in marriage, is to help one another to become that person as well, to follow Jesus' lead. You see, Jesus set us an example that he not only shows us through that passage that he is our best friend, but he is also the husband to the church, which means he is committed to the vision that he has for every single one of you to help you to become, to live out the new creation self that he created you to be. And he sees that in us. He doesn't lose sight of it. And he asks us to do that same for each other. It's so incredibly important that we do that, and it's something that he uses us to do, but it's him that's doing it. There's another place where Paul writes about this in his letter to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter one, verse six. He says, and we're confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That he is at work within us to make us like him. That is his objective, that's his purpose. And he's saying, and that should be the purpose in your marriage as well and in your friendships as well. And it's so important to keep that in mind, that that ultimately is what we're here to do, is to help each other, to guide each other into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, which, by the way, is the mission statement of Brazos Fellowship. That's what we're here to do as well. 
We're we're simply following the lead of what Jesus did all the way to the cross, resurrected, and beyond. That's what he always wanted for us. So how do we do that? How do we begin to do that at a deeper level? How do we help each other to live out being a new creation, right? Now, the big answer to this, general answer, is through through spiritual transparency, like just getting gut-level real with each other. Stop playing church. Stop playing spiritual games with each other, but just being real, being honest, genuine, authentic with each other about where we are and really being, being willing to work on some things. And here's the first step. Let's get really practical here. The first step is to confess sins and pray for each other. This is what you do. This is not what you do with everybody, but with your confidants, your spouse, the people who you would say, this is my best friend. This is the person I can trust. They're walking with God too. I can trust their walk with God. I'm gonna lean on them. If you don't have somebody in your life like that, I encourage you to get somebody in your life like that. That's part of the reason why we do Small groups here. That's part of the reason why we encourage you guys to connect and grow here at Brazos Fellowship because need, we need, all need people like that in our life. And let me point to you a place in the New Testament where we're given instruction about this. It's in James chapter 5, verse 16, where James says this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be, let's say it together, so that you may be healed. Like there's some healing that comes from this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Not a perfect person, but a righteous person. Someone who is concerned with living a righteous life. What God says is right, to do it. And when you blow it, you repent. You turn back to God and you get back on the right path and you don't go off the rails and stay off the rails. This is the righteous person. These are the kind of people you need in your life to pray for you. Let me tell you when this I've seen to be incredibly helpful for a lot of people spiritually speaking. Have you ever had a time in your life where you blew it, you sinned, you brought it before God, and you asked for him to forgive, and after you prayed, you still felt like some residual guilt or shame or something like that was kind of following with you, and you're like, did it really take? I'm not sure if it really took. I want to believe that it did, And here's the power of sharing with somebody that you can trust, to sit down and say, hey, look, I did this sin, and I've asked God to forgive me, and I'd just like to ask you to pray for me. And either in their prayer or speaking to you eyeball to eyeball, that friend can do something for you that's very powerful. They can remind you. They can speak on behalf of God to say, just so you know, if you ask God to forgive you, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your unrighteousness. He's forgiven you. You have freedom from the sin. It no longer defines your identity. It's not who you are anymore. You have been severed. You've been cut. You're free from that now. God has pulled you away. Now, your emotions may still be lingering right there, and it doesn't fully feel it, but I have seen some powerful, life-changing moments for people who say, it wasn't until I heard my friends say, I wasn't until I heard my spouse say, it wasn't until, this is why people pay big money to go to counselors, because it's not stuff that you don't know. Sometimes it's stuff you do know, but you just need to hear it confirmed and affirmed by somebody else to say, this is true of you and about your situation, so you can move forward with confidence. You're good. Sometimes we just need to hear that. It brings a healing that little else will. Now, it's God working through the person. Make no mistake, it's not them. It's God working through them. But it's their prayer that it's powerful and effective. 
don't shortchange yourself. This is something we ought to be doing for each other within marriage and even within confidential, close friendships for each other. This is so important. It's so powerful. And really, to take it a step further, we need to be able to give your spouse, give your friendship license to confront you in love when, not if, you start giving up on your commitment to God. We all are going to have those. I have those days. Can I just be honest with you where I'm kind of mailing it in? I wish that every day I'm like, 100%, yes. I w- that's what I'm shooting for. Some days it's 75 is like all I got right there. You know what I'm saying? And, and sometimes you need to have somebody who loves you. You need to have a spouse. You need to have a best friend to say, hey, look, something's changed. Something's different. And you have given them license to do this. You've given them permission to speak that truth into your life, to get honest with you in love. We all are going to need that. We all have got to have that. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24, I love this. It says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. This word spur here means to stir up. It means to challenge somebody. And what's interesting is this is one of the only places in the Bible that word is used in a positive sense. All the other usage of the same Greek word is like stirring up your lustful feelings, stirring up sin in your life, stirring up challenging, bringing to the surface. And here he's saying, no, no, no. In a similar way, we need to do this for each other, to stir up what's good, to stir up and challenge each other and and call forth, hey, you're better than this. Like, I, I know you're hurting right now. I know you're tired. I know you're frustrated. I know that work's been awful. I know that everything's kind of falling apart for you. But please, you gotta, you can do better. Like, I want to help you. I'm going to pray for you. Let's, let's work together. But somebody, somebody that you have given permission to, to be your spur. So I'm going to ask you a really challenging question right now. Who have you given license to in your life to be the spur that stirs you and challenges you? It ought to be your spouse, if you have one. It ought to be a best friend. It ought to be somebody. Here's what I've noticed. That if you belong to an organization and, and you, you're blessed with a greater, more important role within that organization, the higher you rise in the organization, there are fewer and fewer and fewer people who feel like they have permission to be this for you. They're all yes men and women. They're all gonna do what you say. They're not gonna challenge you. You gotta ask for it. You gotta say, I give you permission to challenge me. I give you permission to ask me, what in the world are you thinking right now? This doesn't make any sense at all. I encourage you. I need somebody to sharpen me. Because if we don't have anybody sharpening us, we will quickly go dull, quickly. And it will be to our own ruin, our own demise. We need friends like that. They are a blessing, even if they come off wounding a little bit sometimes because it hurts it's not always easy to hear what they're going to say but you need to sit still and listen and stop interrupting and saying well but you don't understand but let me explain and let me you're you're constantly trying to justify yourself just listen to what they're saying and listen and let them be the spur that they were intended to be by God it's so important 
that we're willing to do this. And this is what Paul is saying in this Ephesians 5. He's saying, listen, I want you to follow the example of Jesus because Jesus' whole heart, his whole mission, his whole purpose for coming was to help lead us to God, to himself. And he wants to use you to lead your spouse, to lead your kids, to lead your friends to relationship with him, to guide them into a growing relationship with him. It's so important. In other words, that our job is to urge your spouse, your friend, to love Jesus more than you. Now that may seem kind of radical. Some of you are pushing back on that saying, no, I don't want anything to come between their love for me and me. I don't want anything to come for, and it seems like this is a contradiction. Well, what are you doing? You're like, this is like competing for their love for me. Is that what you're saying? No. It may sound like a contradiction. It's not. It's a paradox. Paradoxes are different than contradictions. Paradox appear to be contradictory, but they're actually not. Here's the paradox. A paradox is only if you love Jesus more than your spouse will you be able to serve their needs ahead of your own. It's only when I put Jesus at the center of my life, I give him the place in my life, the same place that he already has in the universe, by the way, Lord of Lords, King of Kings, like I give him that spot in my life, then I am capable of loving my wife, Leslie, fully and completely. When my heart is full of the love of God, it is so much easier to be considerate, to be kind, to be patient, to be open, to be gentle with her when things aren't going good, right? That's when we need this the most. Not when everything's going great and your heart's filled with romantic passion. (laughs) That's not when people are under attack. It's when things are not going well. And it's giving permission to each other to be able to do that for each other. It's understanding that there is coming a day when you as a couple will stand not before a minister. As a matter of fact, that moment in your wedding when you stood before a minister is actually a foreshadowing of a moment that will come at the end of this life where the two of you will stand before Jesus Christ, the Lord of all lords and the King of all kings. And you will be spotless, without wrinkle or blemish, perfect, beautiful. And our hope is in that moment as a couple that we will hear him say, well done, my good and faithful servants, that you you forgave each other. You, You bear one another's burdens, that you sacrificed for one another. You 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 confronted one another. You bared up one another's burdens. You were willing to do the hard stuff. You were willing to go the extra mile. You confronted, you showed love and compassion when it was hard to do so, and you continued to push, push, push each other towards me, ahead of yourself. Now, look at you. You're beautiful. You are radiant. You're gorgeous. The way I always knew you could be. The way I had created you to be, and now you will be this way for all eternity. Well done for being a part of that process. What a blessing, what an awesome moment. But this is what Jesus wants. It's what he's always wanted. It's what everything that he did, it was for this objective, this purpose, was to bring us to himself, to bring us to God. In Ephesians chapter one, verse five, we're told, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself 
through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted, let's say this last part together, to do. And it gave him, let's say it together, it gave him great pleasure. It filled God's heart with pleasure to bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now he's saying, this, this is the thing for which every close relationship, your marriage, your close friendships, this is what I want you to do for one another. I want you to lead one another into a close relationship with me. To pray for one another, encourage one another. You know how many one anotherings there are in the New Testament? So many. Bear with one another, care for one another, love one another, forgive one another. He's trying to show us this is a picture of what Jesus has already done for you. Do it for one another. And this is, ought to be the manifestation of the love of God in our marriages. And here's the prayer of application I'm asking you to pray with me today. I think it's so powerful if we'll really take this to heart. Saying, Jesus, I am committed to help my spouse or my friend, the person I'm dating right now, the person I'm engaged to right now, my roommate, my, my coworker, my, this family members. I am committed to love you more than me. I'm, I'm committed to help them to love you more than me. I'm committed to help them fully become the new creation you desire to make them. I surrender all of me and my marriage today. Or for some of you, it might be my future marriage. I surrender all of it to you today. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in the Brazos Valley, we would love for you to engage with us at one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our fabulous children's and student environments, visit us at brazosfellowship.com. That's brazosfellowship.com.